I'm not a monster, it's only a podcast. This week we're taking one more turn with Killer7. Hello, welcome to One More Turn. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. Jim, I used to go to the arcade a lot when I was a kid. I was imagine you I I assume you probably did a lot too. And one of the games I played a lot in the arcade uh that I was always the most excited about was I called them at the time gun games. Uh we know them now today as on-rail shooters. So the one I grew up uh, there was a little pizza place around the corner from my house. And they had the first one I ever saw was, I don't know if you remember Operation Wolf. I, I do not. It was, think of any any arcade cabinet with just sort of the gun on the front. Uh, but instead of, you know, most of those have a kind of a fantastic looking gun that they've put on there. This had an Uzi on top. Like literally just like they took an Uzi and strapped it to this machine and put a button on it and off you went. You, sh- you know, you... uh the game was pretty simple. It was more like less on-rail shooter in a way as we think of them today in 3D and more side-scrolling shooter. Do you remember like Hogan's Alley where it just sort of presented a scene and it would slowly scroll to the right and things would pop up and pop by and you would just blast the hell out of it? Right, right, right. Yeah, you'd see that a lot between, um, you know, like Area 51 comes to mind. Actually, specifically Area 51. Right, yeah. It's probably my most played one. Yeah, which, you know, had the... That one had the uh, uh, lame, like, real actors in it, didn't it? I mean, didn't that have, like, real people pop up and you just blast away? <laughs> is that kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that immediately, kind of... immediately you get the big blue X that meant you lost a life, and there was some secret thing where if you shot all the bad... If you shot all the good guys, you could turn into an alien. Yeah, that was, that was kind of creepy, but Operation Wolf was strange in that way. It's also kind of, you're shooting at people which is kind of a horrific thought <laughs> uh, thinking about it today uh in a game anyway and but you're in like vietnam or at least something like vietnam so it's even more sort of gray and disgusting as a game when you said that you're playing through this game in vietnam are you talking about the vietnam war or is it like 20 years after the fact and you're just running through with an uzi assuming the war has I, never ended i think it's vietnam war I think there's like jungle involved, and but then it goes to Who a desert scene. Who brings an theme. Uzi to the Vietnam War? <laughs> I don't know. You ever see Predator? I mean, Rick, didn't isn't that what? Uh, oh, who's who's uh, Carl Weathers play? Uh, so is that secretly what this game is? It's not actually about the Vietnam War. It's just the Predator. Just with, <laughs> it's like the Predator meets Rambo. It's a prequel to Predator. I would I would argue. Um, yeah, but also you know, I, I it got me thinking. You know, today about. You know, there's one that, you know, obviously there's no one really goes to arcades anymore. Um, well, they just don't exist more often than not, especially, well, in most parts of this country. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with kind of the newer, you know, a lot of the newer systems. But honestly, you know, I, I find the home experience of an on-rails shooter kind of lacking. Those games, when I was growing up, didn't always have a reticle on them on the screen. You know, you just right. sort of aimed and shot. Today, they kind of, you feel like, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit. When I play like something on the Wii or or, or something on like Xbox or PS3, where they kind of help you aim and help you kind of through the game, it's I don't know, feels sort of feels feel sort of dumbed down, honestly. You know, you can lock on, you hit like a button and it like locks the screen onto your target. I don't know, it's it's it defeats the purpose of why you have this thing in your hand in the first place. You're sort of supposed to feel like you are that good of a shot, you know. Like Duck Hunt. You remember you played Duck Hunt, right? Of course, of course. Yeah. like <laughs> The original rail shooter. <laughs> right. That damn dog always laughed at me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, you aimed – there was no reticle. You just aimed at the screen and it flashed and you hope you got the uh, – hope you hit the duck or you hope you hit the uh, the clay pigeon. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of miss – I miss the feeling that I'm actually, like, hitting a target on my own, not with some – help from a designer or a, or, or a reticle or something. Well, what recent titles have, have you been playing that, that have, or that you've seen have, that have had this problem? Because I guess the reason I ask is there are not many rail shooters these days. No. Uh, well, I own a Wii. That's why. So uh, I was going to ask yeah. if you had the Resident Evil one. No, I never even played those ones. I 
I kind of thought they were lame. No, I had like uh, Star Successor, the uh, the sequel to Sin and Punishment. That had a reticle on it, although that didn't even use a gun. Like you just sort of you just sort of move the uh, move the thumb around to shoot. Oh wait, no, I'm thinking of the first one, the original Sin and Punishment. You you know you aim with a reticle. Uh, no aiming. And the second one, I think you do kind of aim and shoot. But also, like, uh, you know, comparing uh, a game to sort of what we're playing this week with, with Killer7 is uh, Metroid uh, Metroid Other M. Huh, actually, um, have you played through that one? I actually, I actually haven't. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. But it's, there's a kind of a, you know, you ru- it's all third person, except when you have to shoot. You, you've played Metroids, I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So whenever you have to shoot your missiles, you have to physically, you know, you're holding the controller sideways to run around the levels and shoot. But to actually shoot your missiles, you have to aim the controller at the screen. And what that does is shift it from sort of an over-the-shoulder third-person perspective into a first-person mode. And you shoot, you can shoot your normal you know, cannon that way, but you also, it's the only way you can shoot missiles at anything. Is that, is that an extreme annoyance and just in having to, to make that, to make such a large jump in perspective in order just to accomplish a particular, what may be a particular minor task or especially like older ones which just required you hitting like L or R to. No, I kind of liked it. As strange as that sounds, again, I'm a glutton for punishment in games. Uh, (laughs) I like, I like when things are created to be a challenge. And in that case, you know, your missile is supposed to be your most powerful weapon kind of thing. So in order to balance the game, it's kind of a way to balance it so you're not just blasting missiles the whole time. It also balances out, makes it a little, it gives it a, a level of difficulty. Now you have to kind of stop. You can't just blast these overpowered weapon. You have to kind of use it uh, judiciously and you have to aim. You know, you can't just shoot away. But well, the reminded me of Killer Seven is because you know, as you know, that game's on rails. It's kind of the same perspective. You switch to first person and third person all the time, and it's right, right. It's, it's in order to shoot anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I find that you know that's something that's slowly kind of going away. Is the on rails thing? I guess maybe first person shooters have kind of replaced the old on rail shooting game. I mean, is that that seem like an, a, a fair assessment? Well, uh, certainly, certainly, um, because. You know, generally, when you'd see these, when you saw, like, the, the first-person view gun game, especially kind of, I guess, given the, the, the graphics were always pr- generally pretty advanced, at least for the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you kind of compare, you know, maybe, like, some current, like, Carnival or something from, like, the, the mid to mid to late 90s, where really the only, well, Half-Life and Quake were, were pretty big at the time, but... For something that that was such like a, a more like open world or at least like free range kind of shooter, they're certainly clamping down or at least condensing where all of the uh, where all the I guess the power of the the graphical power, whether it's the you know it's just the attention in general is when you have something like an open an open world shooter, like you have to worry about having every place that someone can look be relevant, versus just having like a particular. Like a, a particular sprite or like cluster of, you know, grass pixels just repeated over and over, and then just rem- like remove you from the game entirely. The the like the of the dead shooters, yeah, like a house like House of the Dead shooters, where you know it's just a fast paced thing, and even though like the backgrounds kind of look pretty bad, you don't worry about that because just given the pacing and given kind of the speed of it, you don't really have time to worry about that. Mm-hmm. You just have to worry about how bad a game it is, just in general. <laughs> yeah, I imagine the designers. Yeah, they don't even care about what the the. I mean, they probably care, but they don't care what the background looks like. It's just as long as it looks like something that a person can identify with, can see. All they, all that game is almost like Twitch House of the Dead. That is Twitch sort of reaction, like something pops up and sure. you shoot it, or just aim at the center of the screen and just keep shooting. Which yeah, was House of the Dead. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're missing. Typically, like rail shooters, though specifically like FPS rail shooters. They aren't that good, and you're saying that like the new the new Resident Evil uh, looked kind of cheesy, and it, it certainly is. However, it is a very solid recreation of that arcade experience, which decidedly was the most cheesy thing. Typically, when you're sitting there and you've got like a brightly colored gun in your hand, it is only going to be cheesy. Yeah. Maybe it was, yeah. You know, and there's only like one or two of those gun of the gun gun games that actually kind of embrace that. It's, like point it, blank, point blank yeah. comes to mind, but that's it has actually some rail shooter elements to it. Like there are some levels that have like that 
that sort of thing. But it's it's meant to be silly. Yeah, it's purely a yeah like a visceral experience. It's like you know it is kind of that strange thing. Like I have horror guns. I'm not a gun person at any any light. Uh, I, you know, although whoever wants to own them and shoot them, go you know feel free. Uh, but yeah, it does give me that experience of what this quote unquote kind of feels like to shoot a gun. It's not which, but yeah, like, but yeah, like it's, it's, it feels more appropriate or it feels better inclined to a game when you have like, yeah, a bright pink gun in your hand or bright blue when it comes to time, you know, time crisis, time crisis. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it does kind of, uh, evoke sort of like a, a more fun light experience to it. I don't know. Or a more I, realistic anime style, an anime shooter where yeah. all your guns are as brightly colored, but they have to match the outfit that you're wearing. <laughs> is that Time Crisis? Is that what it does? Sure, why not? No, no, I'm asking you. Is that isn't that what that is? Isn't it like your... oh, I, I don't. I, I, I honestly <laughs> don't remember. It's been it's been so long since I played Time Crisis. Although, admittedly, there is still obligatory that every arcade that exists still has one that nobody plays. Yeah, yeah, it's that pedal. People love that pedal. Oh, which makes it especially interesting when you. If you've ever dual shot, you know, like you play as both players in a gun game, yeah. Time Crisis is a workout because it's like a step, it's like a, an elliptical. <laughs> well, You're just constantly just like shuffling back and forth, back and forth in order to, oh, yeah. uh, well, you in like, order to keep it reload and protect yourself. You like or DD. just fight off ninjas. You like DDR? That might be kind of fun for you. Trust me, it's not. Just because <laughs> no. Time Crisis in general, not that fun. No, no. No, and the later ones they give you like Uzis, which was kind of strange because you you're holding a pistol, but then on the screen it's like, no, 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 that pistol's an Uzi. Just, just oh right, uh, right, you just, just hold, hold the pistol, hold the right, trigger. just hold the trigger down, and it just becomes a hundred percent rumble pack, and you're not even holding a controller, so it's just kind of just like fumbling out of your hand. Uh, so I was going to ask about with uh, Operation Wolf, is if it had that kind of further Uzi where it's just the entire weight of it is just a. It's just some electrical device just meant to shake. Yeah, it's it's a little shaky. And uh, I don't know, it had a cool feature where um, you, you have a limited ammo and it's your classic on-rail shooter where you have to sort of shoot ammo. You have to shoot on the screen. Like an ammo pack will appear on screen and you shoot it in order to reload uh, or get more ammo. But when you sure, run sure. out, you have to shoot it like a pistol. So it's this, so yeah, you get the weird rumble thing, but like one one shot at a time. Anyway. Could you hold your hand in front of it to reload? <laughs> no, no, no! You can't. You couldn't. Uh, you couldn't. Uh, oh, I didn't even know you could do that in uh, what in the Dead series. Oh no! Like that. That's how you get by in the Area Fifty One things. Is you you hold the gun up with one hand, hold your other hand up next to the barrel, pointing towards the screen, and then you just never stop shooting. Just once in a while, you just flip your hand in front of it. Oh, that's cheating! That's cheating, Jim. It's not cheating. <laughs> it's realistic to shoot yourself in the hand in order to reload. Yeah, it's true. It's 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 the uh, Looney Tunes version of shooting, where you're. I'm surprised your gun didn't explode. Or, or it had a flag <laughs> pop out just with the word "bang" on it. <laughs> we'll be right back on one more turn. Welcome back to One More Turn. I'm Kevin. I'm Jim. So, Jim, this week's game is the much-acclaimed Killer 7. So this was made by Suda51, a grasshopper. And to give a little background on it, this came out in the summer of 05. 2005 is kind of a, I don't want to say a banner year for video game, but it is sort of an important year. You know, that's the year that Xbox 360 came out. Oh, excuse me, console gaming. Console. I don't mean to. I don't want to offend your delicate PC sensibilities, Chip. Every year is a better <laughs> year for PC gaming. Uh, so, 05 was the year. The year PlayStation 3 was kind of officially announced. It was the year the Wii controller was announced for the Wii. It's the year that this is all at E3 of 05. Uh, it's sort of a turning point year from kind of their standard definition gaming into HD and sort of your be- your higher end graphics of gaming. And Killer Seven was kind of an, an an interesting spot. You know, it's part of that Capcom Five that we discussed during Beautiful Joe. Those games, including Beautiful Joe, Capcom surprisingly, you're gonna this is gonna knock your socks off, Chef, because this is unheard of these days. They I'm want not wearing socks, so I've preemptively prepared for this. This is gonna knock your socks back on, Jim, because <laughs> because Capcom wanted to create new IPs. 
They were like, um, we're tired of making a thousand Mega Mans or however many they had made. We need some new IPs. So Beautiful Joe is one. And this was the, another one. And they, and shockingly, Capcom wanted to make them artsy, wanted to make sort of high art kind of games. And this one is, I would argue, is an attempt at kind of at that because, you know, cell shading is kind of becoming more popular in gaming at that time. Uh, although Wind Waker had been out for two years, you know, you had some other titles that used that kind of cartoon Cell, cell shading style to sort of create a world and Suda right. himself, possibly not not to the same extent that Killer Seven did. No, no. It was like it was even like low res kind of polygon cell shading. Yeah, yeah. It's super. It's, this one's super stylized, and it's yeah. and it's and it's very it's minimal shading. on details. Yeah, which is which is great. Uh, and Suda actually played into that. It's third person over the shoulder, three D. Um, but it's technically, you could call it on rails. You don't move with the control stick. You move by pressing A. Uh, to, to, you can go backwards by pressing B and then pressing A to sort of uh, advance backwards. Right. It's more like a mine. It's more of a minecart. Yeah, that's a great. That's that's a great way to put it. It's all the action or all the sort of threat to your characters done uh, through these things called smiles. They are you you when you're when you're on the rails when you're walking through a level you'll hear a laugh. You sort of hold down R or whatever button, and you pop into kind of this first-person perspective mode, and then you have to start scanning the area for these enemies that that are kind of like zombie-ish, I would say. Yeah, yeah, or at least they start that way. Yeah, and then once you see one, then you can start shooting them. They have weak points. It kind of becomes, in a way, an on-rails, kind of like an on-rails experience where you can just shoot the enemy or you can kind of target a weak spot. Or in mm -hmm. some cases, eventually, with some enemies, you have to target a weak spot in order to kill them or they kill you i always find it really unusual that despite your limitation to the rails that the enemies are not limited to the same no no that's that's very annoying <laughs> oh sure but when you know you come out of a room you hear the laugh and you're immediately presented with two different pathways that you can look you have to pick one immediately look scan guess turn around hope the guy is not immediately right behind you already and you yeah. have that amount of room that you need and what's worse is some of the enemies are behind corners like we say as you say it's like a minecart but it's a minecart with turns and mm -hmm. you know yeah they'll they'll be around a corner and you can't see them you kind of have to wait and then you'll wait and then they won't come out and you're like where are they and they have and they have uh because they're in a room that's a box that just has like a door opening. They're kind of in the corner of that room walking towards you and you just can't see them. It's, right, it's, right. Uh, but yeah, and, and the, that's, so that's the main gameplay mechanic. The second being is that you control your, I would say you're, you're Garshin Smith or you're Harmon Smith and Garshin Smith. And you, you're a lot of many, you're, Smiths. you're many Smiths. You're Kevin Smith, who looks very spelt in this game. You're Master Smith, you're Cade Smith, but how you change characters is you pause it, uh, pause the game screen, and you can kind of change characters on the fly, although it's not as quick as that sounds. <laughs> Explain. No, that is that is one thing that I certainly, like, it was one of the first things that I wrote when I was playing through this game is, oh yeah, I remember what loading what loading screens were like. Yes. I mean, just changing yeah. characters took about like five, six seconds of animations as your, as your particular smith of the day explodes out into all these horrible blood particles that then reform into someone else hoping that, that like conservation of energy and mass still hold yeah and yeah it's that's that's that i think that mechanic was the thing that annoyed me the most because you're constantly having to change characters or not i shouldn't say constantly but even in fights you kind of have to change between characters and all right the right where there will be there'll be like two mo like two enemies two different smiles one can only be killed by one certain type of smith versus the other one can only be killed by explosives or what have you. Yeah, and you have to pause the game. I mean, luckily it pauses it for you so they don't keep advancing while you're you're changing, but it's just like it's so slow. <laughs> you're just like I know, I know it's an older game and uh uh you're supposed to sort of just kind of enjoy the ride of it, but it's like a full stop. Like it is a full like 5 seconds. You shoot one, pause it, switch you change to the other guy and there is yeah like a good five to ten seconds where you're just staring at the screen you're like okay hurry up <laughs> like, i don't have all day i don't have all day suda i got things to do people people to see places to kill <laughs> my uh my pl the playstation controller i was using the start button was actually busted on it i didn't actually know about it and so i went through the entire first level 
Like, man, when do I get the option to pause this game and just select people on the fly? I was just running to the TV room to go flip the channel, like to go flip the channel to go switch guys that uh, way. Uh, Eventually, I needed to get like an, a particular item to equip, and that's when I realized, like, oh, oh, this is on my end. Yeah, yeah. Well, your luck. I mean, you played it how they originally designed it. That's how they designed it. You were only originally supposed to switch members in those TV rooms. What? Yes. And the I, I was reading an article about this, and they added the switch on the fly thing later. So imagine, so you played it in a sense in its purest form, <laughs> in its frustrating, its purest form. Well, it, it, you know, admittedly, they probably they probably changed it so that they had to include a number of more changes that way. Like if you could only switch in the TV rooms, I can't imagine that they would have had to require so many so many quick changes. When you're like one particular room where there may have there may be like a barrier that needs to be broken by Kaidi or a section and a section that you need to go invisible for with Kevin. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was yeah. There's they probably changed. I'm sure that's an early switch they made, but yeah, that was that was the original plan. You know, the main draw of this game. You know, uh, if you wanna, I guess the main draw is the story with the seven and sort of it's surreal nature it's i mean the most of the game to me from a from a mechanic standpoint was just kind of the same you know even if they right. when they well, changed up the enemies like the mechanics was just same over and over, frustratingly so mm-hmm. you know yeah i mean the i mean the entirety of the game was it was more it was more puzzle game than shooter uh because and not only for like the, the actual puzzles that need to solve even though most of the puzzles are just go get an item you know, go get item, deliver it here, yeah. hit an air conditioner. Although there are, you know, there's some kind of clever ones involving there are rings that you collect that you're that you are given by a disembodied head who appears in in very convenient places. Hmm. That, um, you know, <laughs> different elemental rings like you're the Mandarin that you have to like switch between. So it's oh, there's a there's a candle here that looks significant. So if you put on a fire ring, okay, that the fire you know the fire ring lights the candles, which sets off the the water it sets off the smoke alarm which sets off the the water which causes the toilet to fill which allows you to flush the toilet which allows this thing that's stuck in the pipes to fall out yeah it's like a uh, marble madness or no no a uh, uh, mousetrap it's like mouse trap. yes a little bit a little bit i mean even the the gunning for well even the gunning to that extent is is just a puzzle it's just a puzzle with a timer on it uh more it's you know the puzzles are you need to find out which personalities that you have can meet that particular uh, can can you know can meet that particular challenge whether it's you know since each character has their own uh, has their own set of abilities that they can use whether it's as I said like Katie can cut open her wrists to cut open to bring down barriers uh, or uh, that's creepy uh, <laughs> yeah or you know mask the mask de Smith can use his pro wrestling moves to go knock stuff down or throw stuff out of yeah. the way Dan didn't have anything did he. Uh, his was just like the, I believe his was just the collateral shot, which was just oh, used okay. to, he was the only person that could knock down a particular type of enemy. Yeah, that's right. But even, I thought, gosh, who's the one? Uh, the coyote. He kind of, I think he gets that ability eventually too. Or something uh, like yeah, it. He well, gets a all the char- version I think of it. all the characters have a charge that they can, that they can get later on as you, um, is as you are defeating, mon- as you're defeating Smiles, if you if you hit them in their weak spot, which is generally like this big glowy thing, you get you get their blood. You get enough blood, you can then use that to then upgrade your character, your individual characters for mm-hmm. how strong their shots are, how fast they move, how fast they reload, yeah. as well as you know how large the critical space appears on each of these guys, and then whether it's how much their gun wavers or the particular usefulness of a, of an ability of theirs. I, I kind of wish this game had been called like Killer Four, Jim, because there <laughs> there are too many kind of overlap in abilities, in my opinion, with some of these characters. Well, it's funny that you say that because when you beat the game, you unlock Killer Eight mode. Oh, yay! Yay! More people to deal with. <laughs> Although, admit, no, admittedly, in that case, you pretty much only need one or two people. Yeah. Oh no. Have, well, that mode is like one. It's one hit deaths for all your characters, and then they don't have the little yellow shiny things anymore. Correct. They don't have weak spots anymore. Yeah, right? no more weak spots. So, ugh. I, yeah, I couldn't even. But I was thinking about it that when I was thinking about this in terms of a of a puzzle shooter, in that when the guys you're shooting at, it's kind of a puzzle to determine what mm-hmm. their weak spots are. Yeah, because although some... it, they give you hints, like there's 
the entirety of the game gives you pretty big hints as to how to accomplish anything. Most of the puzzles, there's a uh, there's a guy with Hyun Young, yeah, who has this mask that you can feed it blood, it, so it basically tells you how to do particular puzzles. Whenever you experience a new monster, there's this really creepy kid with a green and white shirt mm-hmm. who tells you how this monster killed him. Yes, yeah, which is strange because that was one of the characters. Uh, that was like, who is this kid? Why does he keep coming back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, each of the there's a number of different NPCs that show up to, I guess, to kind of discuss a, a particular aspect of the game. Now, all of these characters have this like really like distorted, um, you know, depending and the pitch to it is, it's almost like if you just took someone grumbling and auto tuned it. That's kind of what it sounds like. Have you ever spoken through tinfoil before? Have you ever done no. that? You never did that as a kid. Uh, it's yeah. It's like a. Uh... Or have you ever heard the track Iron Man by uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black it's like that but but you but garbled. Like if someone's Right, just they're garbling. not even like oftentimes <laughs> they're words. not even words. Yeah, no. Which no, is no. interesting because I heard that in the uh the Japanese version, everything was done in English because most of the game takes pl- I think the entirety of the game takes place in America, right? Yeah, it does. It does. So all of the dialogue all of the dialogue is in English. But wait, then wait. to try to get that similar effect in the American port it was turned into this kind of garbled mess, That's... so that it'd be very, so that you couldn't you couldn't really understand what it was any of the characters were saying. You can make out a word or two here and there, uh-huh. but overall, you really have to just focus on the captions, which the captions are kind of jumbled and start moving around. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. I did not know that they spoke in English, and then the American version, they had to have them speak in tinfoil or whatever yeah. iron man voice yeah and it, cool. and it's interesting because it kind of getting back to the the puzzle aspect of it is that you are always presented at the end of each level like right before the boss you're always presented with a new a new smile that you have to defeat that if you don't they will just straight kill you you're right that in itself is its own puzzle yeah and, so and yeah. you'll become a paper bag and Garshin will have to come find you. and Yeah, even though there was not really permadeath in this game, that just took so long that yeah. I just wanted to reset it every time. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you. I felt the exact same way. But um, it kind of made me wonder if if all shooters are technically puzzle shooters because you just have to figure out where the weak spot is on the guy and just aim for it. It just so happens that most people have a weak spot on their head. <laughs> yeah, it's, I did that. I did that too because I'm so used to first-person shooters that I just aim for the head. And then I'm like, no, that's not, I have to like retrain myself. That's not what I'm supposed to do. You know, when you get shot in the leg, Jim, sometimes you just blow up and turn into yellow gold or, or pure, pure blood spots like this game does. I need to remember oh, that sure. next time. We'll be right back on one more turn. Welcome back to One More Turn. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And so as as you mentioned, Kevin, there's there's a lot to dissect with the story of this game. Like I I felt like there were there were a lot of very David Lynch type vibes to this game. Yeah. And actually I think a lot of a lot of um story mechanics that David Lynch uses in some of his films actually appear directly here. Um so you know, you're not even really told you're not really told much of anything, really. You're just you were just kind of thrown right into this, where you have this shape shifting person of many, you know, like this multiple personality assassin who's just coming into like, what was assumed to just be like, oh, you clear out some bad guys, but then you're not really told what the bad guys are, but no one seems to really know what the bad guys are. No, yeah, and that's you're just sort of throw it's it throws you off a little bit as a player. It threw me off. You know, I remember the first time I played this. I hated that first level because I was just like, what is going on? I need a li- I just need something to grab onto. And they give you nothing. And they give you right, absolutely and it's, nothing. And it's really dark. Just yeah. Because I believe like the first level is just, there are just innocent people in this building just getting, getting blown up. Yeah. And you know, all you hear is like their horrible wailings and screamings from inside the building. Well, one, a bunch of them get killed right in front of you. It's like, oh, yeah. it's no, super completely. disturbing. Like, when someone's like yelling at you to save them and there's literally nothing you can do about it. Right. Right. It's, it's, it almost gives you as a player a sense of powerlessness or maybe even a sense of you being kind of cold. Because, yeah, one of the scenes is you see that girl run in front of you and she just gets grabbed by a smile and then blown up and you're just standing there. You're just like, oh, well, yeah. And then you just no have reaction, to like walk, no reaction. You just have to like walk by this, you know, this body and then just this blood splatter just across the entirety of the wall. Yeah, it's super creepy. And yeah, so you're... Right. 
And so you, you get you get a very small bit of the origin of these things. Like there's you're fighting different ones, whether it's some that produce eggs that produce these things. And then you get into the angel section. Well, I guess even before you get to the angel section, that's where you're meeting a number of these really kind of, like very ghostly people. You know, you're meeting like Irizaru, you're meeting Irizaru, you're meeting uh, Travis. Yeah. Who is you know, who you're introduced as the first person that you've ever killed. He's yeah. just there to just kind of help out. He kind of delivers snarky comments throughout the game. He delivers a lot of exposition, too. He's, he sort of tells you the story, mostly. Right, right. And he always has function. a really strange t-shirt that is usually a, a music genre. Uh, yes, yeah. Although some of them are completely, like, made-up music genres. Yeah, some of them are puzzles. Some of them are answers to puzzles in games, too. Right, right, right. That are also music genres. Right, right. Or music, or particular songs, for that matter. Yeah, and like when he has like a tank top that just says "Gothic Punk" across it. Right. Like I, he has one. Of was those... there ever Gothic Punk? You get to the angel, the angel battle, where all of a sudden you are now this. You are now a priest in a wheelchair with an anti-tank rifle. Yeah, I read online they called a lot of people refer to him as the Hasidic Harmon. Sure, sure. Because of the Even hat, the ha- I guess the hat and the hat. like the the sideburns and the collar. There's a lot of good sideburns in this. There's game. a lot of great side. There's a lot of great haircuts in this game. I wish I had some of these haircuts. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. And and how you become the Hasidic Harmon? He's he's Harmon. He's supposed to be kind of the the one true personality, supposedly. Right. He's the he's the master. He's the master personality. He's in a wheelchair, and you walk by a camera. Like a like a security camera, and it'll flash to the the view of the security camera for a second, and you're whatever whatever character you you are, usually Garshan, the uh, the the sort of secondary master character, the cleaner, guess, the cleaner as he's called, and he just sort of the security camera just sort of flashes or kind of goes wavy for a second, and then you turn into Harmon, or you turn into later you know other characters uh, of the Killer Seven, and then you yeah you wheelchair through it. You're terribly slow as Harmon. You're you're really slow, but you have that big armor-piercing gun. You know, in that first level, you just shoot. You get to this sort of this angel wing female character. This yeah, this really anime-looking angel. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of anime. There's a lot of strange uses of anime in this game. Well, it kind of goes into the there's there's the Japanese a lot of the the Japanese American relationships there versus you know the American parts of the game versus the Japanese parts of the game are are very well differentiated between. The different art styles. Yeah. We'll get to it a little bit later, but, you know, there is a level where all of the cutscenes are done in, like, a nine, like a late 90s or, like, Cowboy Bebop sort of animation style. Yeah, yeah. But, and then in this opening stage, so you have Harmon, you shoot this jet anime angel's wings. Sounds like a punk song, by the way. And, and then you switch into one of the Killer 7, and you have to kind of run behind her and shoot her. And then eventually, after you've beaten her, you get into another room. And it shows the same angel, this time sitting down. You're Harmon again. You shoot her. You don't shoot her or her wings. You see this kind of figure to the left, and you shoot at it. And it's the main, I guess what I'd call the main antagonist. Although I'm, Sure, I don't know that's if how I... it's introduced. Yeah, you're yeah. introduced to Kun Lan, the bad guy. Yeah, and then he has this glowing hand, which which uh, people would recognize as the god hand in kind of Japanese. Mm-hmm. You know, used more often in kind of Japanese uh, gaming, the god hand. And you shoot his god hand. With Harmon, he catches your bullet, but he holds on to it and flies far, far away from the from the force of the bullet to the top of the space needle because the game takes place that level takes place in Seattle, and then he just kind of laughs at you and just says, you know, boom, end of right. level. So this, like, like this is the guy that's creating the smiles, yeah, and given the horrible, horrible laughter that comes from all of them when you kill them, you're like, oh, well, this is actually like this guy's laugh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That creepy <laughs> laughter. It's kind of the joke. Reminds me of the Joker, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, and then and then the next level kind of the next few levels drop all that in a sense. I mean, you kind of progress as they're supposed to happen after, and they have smile enemies, but they kind of they're independent. They're almost independent stories. Yeah, yeah. He's like, there's one that there's one that's involving a lot of like the the Japanese the Japanese and American relations. At least in this world that it presents, where all you know, where there's world peace, everyone gets together to uh, to try to end global terrorism. So yeah, let's let's delve into that. I think there's kind of two stories going on. There's a lot of background story about the you. Basically, the world has become a utopia, and all of the nuclear weapons have been 
shot off into the atmosphere and destroyed. And so, and that for some reason has created some type of UN government, although the US and Japan seem to be kind of the two dominant forces still, right? Um, Amer- uh, the Americans are. I think in, in this case, it kind of describes as Japan is, Japan's not really a power. As a matter of fact, no one really cares about them anymore. Yeah, they're on the they're on the brink of extinction or the brink of implosion as a country. If I'm if I'm right, not right, it's, right, because like in in that second level, it's the discussion on some somewhere someone has launched missiles at Japan, and America is trying to decide whether to save them or not. Yeah, and which ultimately it's a strange part of at least a number of of different parts of Japanese pop culture that has that sort of fascination with Japan being destroyed and kind of no one really helping. Like, I think it's Japan yeah. sinks. Yeah, well, it's telling that one of the characters, his last name in this is Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yes, Pearl so, Harbor. So, and there's a lot of that sort of fascination with the end of World War II. I mean, I think, in fact, some of the events, the events, the main events for the main characters of the game take place right around, you know, post-World War II, uh, mm-hmm. like in the 50s. So, uh, but yeah, going back to the story, so there's this whole UN background thing going on. That's supposed to be modern times. But then there's what I would say is sort of the personal story of the game. Right, it's the bulk of the story. Is focused around the Killer 7, and this is, I'm just kind of, in a way, this is going to jump right to the end, but I'd rather tell it this way because it'll make more sense. Garshin... Uh, through the course of the game, he's carrying this briefcase. And you're kind of always wondering what's in the briefcase. But Garshin, you find out, during the course of the game, you get a lot of these, you have you, you read a lot of these messages from a carrier pigeon, from carrier pigeons. And they always describe this character named Amir. Right, right. It's from this guy who's there to spy on, to basically spy and get information on, on the Killer 7. Yeah. and Johnny you, Gagnon? Yes, Johnny Gagnon. Although I don't, I don't remember seeing Johnny in the game. Is Johnny the informant guy? You see him once. Oh, okay. You see him once. There's like one scene, I think, where uh, Harmon is sitting next to someone who you've never seen before. And oh, it's, it, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, young young Harmon. You're never really told who it is. But... Okay. That's the assumption. Okay. Right. So, Garshin, when he was a young boy in the 50s, went to this school. And at this school, he was taught by Harmon Smith. Harmon Smith was the principal and his mentor. Garshin was the pupil. And for and maybe you you might be able to fill in some of the background, but for at some point, Garshin shows like abilities. I'm gonna even back up a little further. This school was set up by the Japanese government post World War II to create American born assassins who would then sort of corrupt the American government. Or, or sort of disrupt it through assassinations. That's right. And Harmon, or a form of Harmon, old Harmon we'll call him, is the principal of this school. Uh, Garshin was a pupil at this school, although, and he is revealed to be this character, Amir. They are revealed, Amir and Garshin are, are revealed to be one and the same. At some point at this school, Garshin Amir went on a killing spree. Uh, and it ended up, I'm not sure if it's the same day, but it ends up at a hotel where he then went through this entire hotel and on the way to the top killed each member of the Killer 7. Right. That I almost, I got the feeling that there were already, that the Smiths were already a team. Yes. Yeah, they were, they, they were. They were. In fact, Harmon, the principal, was, the I'll call him Old Harmon because there's a couple versions of Harmon in this game. Old Harmon was the Garshin was not in the Killer Seven. Harmon and the other six members were in the Killer Seven. He was that was the Smith Syndicate, the original Smith Syndicate is right. Dan, Kevin, Cade, although it's a, a mask, and then Harmon was the kind of leader of them. Right, right, and then Garshin ultimately takes them over. Yeah, he kills all of them, but Garshin as Amir had this. He's kind of a He's human, but he has this demigod ability. He had this what they call the third eye, and they show and that the, when you get to the top of the building uh, in that final stage, you see his third eye. But he had this ability to, when he killed somebody, kind of absorb their personality in a way, or absorb, or I don't not absorb their spirit, but sort of be able to take on the characteristics of that person, at least Some, mentally. Hmm. 
mentally. Yes, a little bit because you know you see that you know throughout the game you're being helped by people that you have killed, and I believe at one point early on it says something that like not everyone is vindictive about being killed. Some people have been freed that way and are now willing to help you. Yeah, like you kill bosses in the game and they a lot of them come back to help you in a later level and tell you where to go, what to do, although they do it kind of snarky and angry. But but let me just get back to this hotel because this is sort of insane. So then Garshin gets to the top and he gets to the top of this hotel and he – oh, that's what it was. He Harmon was not at the top of the hotel at the time. Harmon was killed at the school and pushed into a, uh, a locker – or a, not a locker, a safe. But young Harmon, a different version of Harmon, was at the top of this school in 1950 or whenever it was. And so after Emir had killed all of the other six of the seven, got to the top, young Harmon's there and guilts him into committing suicide, Ymir – Garshid jumps off the building, jumps off the hotel, dies, reincarnates as Garshin, and in reincarnating has now has the abilities of those six he killed. And actually, it's it's really interesting the uh, the hotel the hotel scene in general. I think is it was such a such a powerful scene where yeah you know, the entire it's it's a first person view of watching everyone in your team be systematically murdered. All while the Garshin is, or in this case, Amir is whistling green sleeves. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because each of the characters then die in a way that then their the version in the psyche version, I guess the part that's within Garshin's psyche, then compensates for. So like, um, like Khan, for example, Khan doesn't hear. Amir coming, and so then his new version has super hearing. Mm-hmm. Or um, Dan, like Dan is killed on a quick draw, and then he becomes that's actually true. Dan's, on a quick yeah, draw. Dan's killed on a quick draw. Um, the like mask was killed with his mask off, mm-hmm. and so he never takes his mask off. Mm-hmm. Oh, Katie is killed by trying to hide somewhere, like setting up a barrier to herself. So then her power is to break down barriers. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's really cool, but. It's, yeah, I don't know if it, I wish it would have taken me somewhere further. I feel like there was a sequel involved in this game that would have taken their stories further. But, I don't know if there necessarily even was a story. Even I guess if you had had maybe a game kind of based on, uh, I guess, the Smith Syndicate pre, pre-Garshin. pre Yeah. But in a way, isn't that like kind of what No More Heroes is a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> That's, yeah. That's, you know, I hear something strange, uh, I, I, just a brief aside. I felt like this game would have been awesome on the Wii instead of GameCube. It would have been a way better experience because of the whole switching between first and third. But yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's the bulk of the story. You're sort of, you, you as Garshin, the entire game don't know that you have, you have, that this has happened. You've kind of, your memory has been wiped. And since you don't use him a lot as a character other than to be the cleaner and pick up, you know, the pieces of the dead killer seven in levels, you know, and sort of revive them, you don't, honestly use him a lot i mean that last level at stage five is you use him a lot in that hotel level in fact i think he's the only character you can use most of the time in the hotel levels does that um, make sense well, i know i know certainly he's the only one you can use in the last part of the game yeah yeah so so that personal story is garshan's the whole bigger thing the bigger story going on is that you realize this school had set up these assassins to kind of disrupt america and then there is this you know that one character uh, I forget his name. He's in the first level. He's the young guy, but he basically represents, you know, if he if he uh, he basically represents a new dawn for for Japan in a way. When you get to the uh, the last level after Angel, it's this level called Lion, and it's kind of the the epilogue. You're given a choice to either kill this character or let him live. You know, if you which can't... sort of has the repercussions then of the country being destroyed along with him. Yeah, he dies. Japan dies. He lives. Japan kind of has glory again, and then and it kind of implies that America would would then take it instead. That America would go down. Yeah. So uh, that's what's kind of the fascinating part of this game is you had mentioned sort of how they made changes to the voices uh, based on based on if you played the American version or the Japanese version. But that's the I think that's kind of the most fascinating thing is in many ways how you play that game and how you view it, especially that choice you have at the end, kind of depends on what country you're from, or what country you're playing it in. Well, that's what I was wondering about was 
I did not get the vibe from it that it was like a dis that it was kind of a, a distinct like um, like anti like American occupation of Japan. I wouldn't even call you, it. You that. can yeah. you can read that. Yeah. You can read it from the game though. Yeah. There's definitely it's not anti-American in any way. It does sort of point to follies on both countries. I would argue during you know they they do kind of make Americans out to be cowboys a little bit, but they also do the anime style stuff. So they do kind of play into the Japanese stuff and 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 kind of exaggerate what is known about Japanese culture. Like they, I feel like both countries in this game are represented in their exaggerated forms. Well, right. I mean, there is there is the one alter ego level where mm. it is the American Killer Seven versus the Japanese Killer Seven in the uh, like the Power Rangers group known as the Handsome Men. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And they are very much an, an exaggeration of yeah. They're all masks. They yeah. They look like Power Rangers. It's a but that strange that is a weird thing of that because those were created by that artist character. Right. She meets Garshin and she's just like. I like it, Garshin. You're cool. Uh, yeah, you're, we're, we're you're good. cool in my book. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. Like that's it. Like the they had a strange ending. There's a lot of strange endings to levels in these games. It's such a strange trip of a game. Like I almost wish there are times where I wish, man, I could, I wish they could have condensed this or like rewritten some of the, taken some of these levels out. Like the Dan level is dumb. It's kind of most of kind of pointless and just sort of gratuitous. Not, not really, because I, I guess the there's a level where it's it kind of explains a. Something about Dan being killed, but I don't know where that works in the timeline of Dan having already been killed by Amir. As you said, there are multiple stories at work here, mm -hmm. and that is, I mean, that level specifically not only ties in kind of a little bit of Dan's story, but also the story of you still having to stop the Heaven Smiles and Kun Lan, who is making them all. Yes. And in this case, like, he is getting, like, huge deliveries of <laughs> organs from this guy. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's still, like, the game aspect of it, where, you know, like, the overall, kind of the political, the political struggle and the personal struggle kind of going on are, that's all still kind of in the background. There is still a game that needs to be played, and that is, you know, you, uh, the one that presented in the very first level of, you are the Smiths, this is the bad guy, he's creating all of these monsters, you need to stop him. So yeah, but, yeah, it's it's a strange thing. So pulling out even beyond all that, pulling out between the personal thing, the political, the larger political story, at the heart of this game, it really is just a battle between uh, what I would call the real Smith versus, or young Smith, Harmon Smith, versus Kun Lan. They are these kind of demigods gods who represent. I've read I read multiple interpretations of these guys, but some people read them as good and evil, Harmon being kind of good. Some people read them as Harmon being you know destructive and creative creation. You know, Kunlan being creation because he has the god hand. And then some even said that they are Western and Eastern cultures uh, because one's white and one is supposed to look more. Asian in appearance. Uh, Kun Lan. Uh, no, Kun Lan. I, don't, no, I don't buy well, that one. Kun, well, Kun Lan. Obviously a very Asian name. Harmon Smith. Smith being kind of the most American sure. name known. So that that's I think that's where that interpretation came from. Uh, yeah, but, possibly. But I, I know that... Wait, isn't... Wait, ultimately that when the question is, you know, who is Kun Lan? Like it says, you know, at kind of towards the end, like, oh, well, he is this guy that's actually chained up in your basement. Yeah, kind of. I mean, is he? Yeah, well, he is Irizaru. Yeah, he is Irizaru, but is he pretending to be Irizaru or... Because he's not in your basement at the end. You have that choice to... Or maybe he is. Maybe Is that last level... That last level's on in Garshin's trailer, right? Right. So, I mean, that, that's... The one interpretation that I've heard is that kind of the entire game, at least like even the parts of stopping the Heaven Smiles, that is still that internal conflict because, you know, Harmon is... Part of Garshin, Kun Lan is also part of Garshin. The entire thing is then just this big internal conflict going on within within Garshin. I, I would say that gets blown a little bit out of the water with the sub credits scene, where I, I mean, maybe not. I mean, I guess maybe not. Maybe that might be overstating, but the where it's a hundred years later and it basically mimics that first shot, the first time Harmon shoots at Kun Lan in the first level, where he catches the bullet and flies. Thousands of feet to some space needle-like right, building. Right. I think it's supposed to be in Shanghai. I think that scene is. But yeah, that's sort of the larger kind of story. Is that there is just this kind of struggle between 
what we would call good versus evil, although that's probably generalizing it. You know, there's always kind of, you can just, you don't have to call it good versus evil. You can just call it, you know, what, there's always going to be one side versus another side. Right, right. There, are, There's no good in this. There's no good in this game. <laughs> right. No one is good. Right, exactly. And and uh, there's control versus chaos. You know, it's your classic kind of, you know, order versus destruction, or, you know, creation versus destruction. And they all kind of, not one side is right or wrong. Um, they're just trying to, they're just always battling, which is another thing. They, th- that gets uh, reflected in the chess playing scenes uh, multiple right. times between but, but those two. I think... Yeah, but again, since since everyone's already dead, they're kind of not really going anywhere. And since yeah. internal struggles are very, very difficult to overcome, you can also interpret it in terms of that way that it's still like this conflict within Garshin is still going on. At which point you're like, well, then why did I kind of do all of that? Yeah, it feels you watch that post credit scene and it just feels like, well, A, that sets it up for a sequel. But B, you're just like, why, you know... Is all of this? I think maybe that's supposed to be a question you ask yourself. Like, is all of this that I'm doing to sort of win the game, or you know, if you want to say broader, feel an accomplishment? Is all of it kind of pointless? Is it all just going to kind of recycle in a hundred years and start over in some other form? You know, right? Until the four true light warriors come and are <laughs> sure. able to stop the, some, the conflict. This is some heady stuff, Jeff. This is really well, heady so stuff. So we have to we have to wrap things up here, yeah. Kevin. But yeah. I, I'd like to at least just to point out um, what is possibly my favorite part of almost any video game I have played. Oh, is that this the, the one level that is not really that relevant to the rest of the game. That's the uh, the Texas level, Cloud Man. Oh, yeah. That's a good level. Let me tell you something. The Andre Olmeda cutscenes, him being the boss, are some of the most ludicrous and insane things I have ever seen. <laughs> it's... Uh, yes. Uh, it is quasi-religious cult figure is what he is with an afro and he just wears a yellow shirt everywhere he's just he looks like he looks like he belongs in the 70s in a way he's got like a muscle shirt and jeans and uh, he is well he is the like he is the embodiment right of of american exaggeration here's a guy with a giant afro and a shirt, you know, this is well, actually, it's kind of the, it's the the Japanese depiction of, of American culture. If you have a guy with a giant afro with a bright yellow shirt that just reads Texas Bronco across it. Right. Nobody <laughs> wears a shirt that says Texas Bronco, except in Texas. <laughs> yeah, that has, by the way, that chapter is the only other chapter with anime scenes, too, if I recall. So there's kind of a strange... uh, It's a little, it's a bit different. Yeah, but it's way different. It's a more... Would you call that more American animation? I don't know. Maybe no, not. No, I, no, no, I would, no, no. It's it's like a weird. It's very strange. Yeah, the entire like the entire well, granted, the entire game is strange, but you know, that specific level, I would recommend. Maybe if we can, uh, you know, we can post up the before and at, like the especially the, the the scene before you fight him as a boss. You know where he gets infected with the smile and uh-huh. his like his head shoots off his body and these giant tendrils then lift his afro off to harness as a power source yeah which it turns out his afro is his weakness <laughs> of course <laughs> of course is it is weird <laughs> but i i can tell you and this is this is one of my um my great admittances is that i may have a t-shirt in my drawers right now that is bright yellow and says texas bronco please tell on me it. please tell me you made that yourself jeb I did. In oh, fact, I may have cosplayed as Almeida oh, to an anime convention before. You may, you may have done a very great thing, Jim. You may have. Yeah, I'll post I'm, up a, I'll post oh, up a photo later. Oh, oh, you, you are gonna get some likes. I'm gonna next time I see you, give you a high five for that because, as strange as that level was, and as as strange as that character is, he's kind of the what was the one that made the biggest impression on me too. That, he's the most memorable character far and away. Yeah, because he's like jubilant and like happy. He's the only kind of like I don't want to say happy, but he's the only kind of like has a little life to him. He's he's the one who's excited. He's excited to be there. Yeah, and then he has that weird blood rain scene in the, the acid. Yeah, there's yeah. acid rain, but then everyone's like, "Oh, this tastes like Almeida's blood." And like, <laughs> yeah, like how'd they know? Like specifically you know, after the his. driving yourself to death. <laughs> well, no, that kid doesn't die. I know, but that's kind of, well, that was that was kind of the perp. Well, I think it was a game, right? Yeah, drive a super fast car, see if you die. If not, hey, you win. You win, and and you become kind of a 
uh, not follower. He kind of becomes the new the Omeda. new Almeida. Yeah, but they don't really go into that. It just sort of ends with there's a there's a lot more here that we can go into, but it's for the sake of time. You know, we can we can take this discussion to our boards. So look us up on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and feel free to comment on how just insane this this game is. Trust me, I'll be posting videos all all week before and maybe even the week after about how just insane this game is. But I love it. Is it. Dense. I love it. It's dense. Yeah, it's this dense. game is is far more dense than most other games that I have played. Most games that have had like this level of narrative end up going like are to be like a Bioware thing that goes thirty to a hundred hours. Yeah, this condenses it all into about ten. And I would say story wise, with his con- condensing way better, he did a better job here than like a No More Heroes where. It just feels like it's just insane to be insane. This one feels like it has a little meat to it. So mm-hmm. anyway, we'll be right back on One More Turn. All right, welcome back to One More Turn. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. All right, Kevin, I've heard recently on the street, there's been a rumor going around that you've been playing games. I Care play, to divulge with us what you've been playing? I play a lot of games, Jim. I break a lot of hearts, and I play a lot of games. Actually, I do none of those things. <laughs> I've been playing... Well, I do the second one. I've been playing a lot of a, uh iOS Android title called Color Zen. Color Zen? It What's is, Color Zen? It's purely a puzzle game. You play it on your iOS device or your Android device, and it is from uh, Large Animal Games... That's the name of the company? That's Large the name Animal of, Games? Yeah, it's a, it's a gorilla. That's their logo. And it's... It's it's basically your screen. You have you, on your screen is a bunch of shapes, uh, circles, squares, or triangles, and each of those shapes is a color, uh, multiple colors. You know, from seemingly from every every portion of the rainbow. And what you have to do is to you have to get your screen to be all one color. That color has to be the kind of the border of the of your of your screen in your hand so for example there'll be like a the first level i think it's like a blue border inside that border it's kind of red and then you have two blue circles next to each other and you tap your finger on the blue circle into the other one and then the entire screen turns blue and thus you've you've beaten that level it's it's as, as simple as that i mean it's there's other other colors come up with different properties so like a black uh, you know, mainly black and white, uh, black, uh, black colors. Uh, when you tap into them, they sort of take whatever your, that shape was or that circle was and sort of just turn it into nothing. They clear it out. So that doesn't take up the whole screen. White. If you tap any color into a white shape, it turns the whole color into the color you've pushed into the white shape. Meanwhile, jazz is playing in the background. Okay, <laughs> I think I'm a little lost right now. Okay. From what you're from what you're saying is that it will take about 15 seconds to understand the concept by playing it, it's, and maybe like 20 minutes of discussion to actually explain to yeah, someone what's it, happening. It is. It is complete. You cannot. I. I, I'm, I can't do it justice with words because it's a completely visual game it's plays kind of like an art project so you're dra- so you're dragging colors into shapes to get them to react yeah you're 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 drag you're basically smashing you're trying to just make the screen one color and so here's uh here's an example so you there'll be a screen and they'll be like you have to turn it into yellow and there'll be like a yellow there'll be like two yellow circles two purple squares two blue squares you know or two blue triangles so you want the last color to be yellow. So you'll push the two blue ones together. The screen will flash blue, uh, but the yellow and the red, the yellow and the, I think I said red, the red objects are still there. You'll, you'll mash the red together. The screen will turn red, but the border's still yellow. And then you'll mash the two yellows together as the last one. And now the entire screen, border included, is yellow. Gotcha. And, and okay, is, I understand that. And that is how you beat that level, is matching the inner screen to the border. How complex does this get? It gets pretty complex because at certain points, it's no longer just shapes that you're bumping into each other. It's like a, or it's shapes, but it's not just a one color shape. It's like a red square and it'll have like a black border, 
around that black border, that square is a blue border, and around that blue border is a yellow border. And then there's just sort of like pieces that can't move that are like white or red or whatever. So you have to sometimes kind of navigate around pieces in order to hit colors into the right ones you want. Okay. Yeah, it's it's and it'll be multiple colors. They'll be like, you know, you'll have to, the border will be like red, and they'll be like, eight or nine colors on the screen you have to navigate in order to kind of figure out where to finally be the last color be red. Oh, I know. It's, it's, I, there's no way to explain it. It's, <laughs> I wish I could. I, I love it. It's super fun. And it's one you can kind of, because it's on iOS or because it's on your smartphone, you can just sort of pop it out, play a level and put it away. There's nothing you have to kind of hang on to. It's just each level is unique, but it's purely puzzle. I mean, it is a, it's, it is a purely puzzle game. And there's no time, too, so you can kind of take your time on each level and kind of look at it and kind of figure out where, what colors I need to smash together when and how. Well, the time limit is, is your own patience with smooth jazz. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's Kenny G level. I mean, it is Kenny G level of jazz oh. here, Jim. I hope you I, – I just usually mute it. You don't need the music, but it's it's – I love it. It's a great distraction. If you're you looking... can get that experience of spending an entire afternoon in a Panera bread in the palm of your hand. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. How about you, uh, Jim? What are you? Uh, what are you playing this week? I, have, I believe I have found and harnessed a new addiction, in that I picked up Rogue Legacy on Steam earlier on in the week. It's a game that came out uh, from Cellardor Games uh, last week on Steam. I think it came out on the twenty seventh. And it is, well, it has the word rogue in the name, so mm. immediately, yeah. it's a roguelike. Yeah. I have a fascination with roguelikes. <laughs> I have more hours in Binding of Isaac than I probably would care to share. How? So is it purely like all roguelikes where it just sort of generates a map and you just sort of walk through that map and fight off whatever? Well, or, it's, or, not, is it's it... not like that top-down, turn-based style that, that a lot of roguelikes, or even rogue for that matter... Hold to it is actually it is a platformer. It's uh, done in a very it's like a slightly fat more fast paced version of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Okay. Or kind of a like a smaller like a smaller scale Metroid in a way. So, but it still randomly generates levels though. Correct. Wow. There, there are you start in a you start there are like multiple zones like you start mm-hmm. in a randomly generated castle. And then you know to like to the north of like to if you go up there will be another section. If you go to the right there will be a section. If you go to the bottom there will be a section. Each section has a boss. You defeat that boss, you unlock the last boss. But now the thing is, much like uh roguelike games, there is permadeath. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing with it is the the legacy. So the legacy portion of it is the entire every character you play is part of the same family. And every time you, your character dies, you then respawn as a number, as a member of the next generation. So, like, if you go back, you can go through your list of characters, and when they were alive, most characters kind of go into this at, like, 18 to 22. So I believe at this point, I played this game for about three to four hours, and I've passed probably a good three, four hundred years of of time <laughs> within that span of... Yep, this person died. This person died. This person died. Oh, please and tell it, me they leave a legacy somehow, like a like a like a like a gravestone or or some type of way to kind of remember the generations. That'd be great. I mean, that's a nice little detail. Well, it does. It gives a little family tree. Oh, so Christopher um, Guest wrote also, it. Yeah, but so you leave all of the gold that you got in a particular run to the next generation that you can then spend to then upgrade to then upgrade your stats then permanently, like. You'll have this giant tree that you can allot points based on how much money you have. So it'll be like, you know, upgrade your maximum hit points, up, unlock a particularly new class um, that a partic- that your that your generations w- might get later. Because you have your choice between three characters. Yeah. And it randomly generates it randomly generates what class they are, but also generates any sort of shall we say disabilities or at least uh, strange circumstances for that character, like. Your character might have dwarfism and might be a t- it might be tiny. Mm-hmm. The character might be colorblind, and then you have to play through uh, that character without any color on the screen. That's cool. I like that. Some of them get really obnoxious, like uh, nearsightedness and farsightedness, <sighs> which make a part of the screen blurry. It's very fast paced, and so like it's very fast paced. 
Very difficult. It's, uh, you know, 400 years past. Does the game change in any way in 400 years, or is it just sort of isolated that? No, that's 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 kind of a neat joke that I've heard, is that I, I was listening to um, uh, Jeff Gershman from Giant Bomb talk about it, that, you know, he beat the game and probably had a good, like, 100 deaths to it, so about 2,000 years passed in that time, right. and people are still going in there with swords and the like. Huh. And is there a broader story that we're supposed to be aware of in this game, like... There's some great evil that needs to be conquered or something, or is it just a dungeon crawler rogue type solely? Well, you there know? is sort of in that it is just this family of trying to, you know, I guess vanquish, just go in there and, and again, kind of defeat the evil within, but they always have to, there's kind of the, the other part of it is that they have to give up all of their possessions in order to go in there. There is a, there's a monster who stands at the gate who takes all of the money that you did not spend huh. in order to go, to go try again. So you have to spend as much of your money as you can to get your upgrades, to unlock new wep- to unlock new equipment, to uh, unlock new abilities for your character. I guess that's so you don't hoard all your gold for four generations and then just buy all the best stuff. I guess. Well, it also incentivizes um, not just going in there, killing a few things, and just dying. Yeah. Because yeah, you, like yeah, at the point where I'm in, like I've, I've just killed the first boss, and I pretty much need to get about. Maybe like four to five room, maybe like you know, maybe like four to four to five rooms worth of gold in order to just unlock anything. Because as you unlock anything, the price of everything else increases. Okay, so inflation. This game is created. <laughs> At least inflation still holds. You know, yeah, like it's over true. Two thousand years. <laughs> so you have to, you kind of have to pick and choose what upgrades that you want. Huh. Although I kind of imagine it's not going to be crippling enough that there's no, that there's not really a way that you can just hamstring yourself so you'll never be able to to beat the game yeah but yeah so i found a new roguelike that i am my controller is still in one piece all right i cannot promise the same thing in a week or two IED is courtesy of Pixel Hate off his album And the Revolution. You can find his music at pixelh8.co.uk Blue Paint is courtesy of Breakbeat Heartbeat and the Waveform Generators off his album 2206. You can find more Breakbeat Heartbeat music at soundcloud.com slash breakbeat heartbeat. If you want to follow us, we're at Twitter at one more turn pod, or you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash one more turn. You got any comments or questions or any suggestions for us? Please email us at one more turn podcast at gmail.com. Next episode, we're taking on Flashback. Kevin, the lights. Kevin, the lights.